0: Helping you unwind after a long day of work. I think he's kind of a boob. You can't really take the day south as a person. You can't go out there and be a moron. It doesn't work right that. The Nightcap. Are eating their food? On WGR Sports Radio 550. You know, for a rando Wednesday in the middle of All-Star Week, as I like to call this, because you got the Pro Bowl... You got the NHL All-Star game on the horizon this weekend. You've got the NBA All-Star game coming up sometime soon in the next couple of weeks. Kind of a weird day for Big Saber Rant. But that's what the last couple of hours have been here. I I don't know if I if I have the stomach to keep going with it. It's nightcap with Joe DiBiase. Eight zero three zero five fifty is the phone number. I am just—it's so dark and sad and depressing, and all of what's happening right now with the Sabers is—is probably what I should be talking about. How they spelled Dave Andrechuk's last name wrong. On his jersey at 90s night. Or recently. Whenever that was. How they didn't have any semblance of a bl- the black and red jerseys. Nothing for warm-ups. Nothing for the game in the to begin with. And now the alumni wearing the jerseys out and about at events. They're not even close to the real thing. I got Brian Mazurowski now from down the hall at WBEN. He's sending me tweets of Danny Gare wearing a fake Chinese Sabres jersey at the Turkey Drive that they had. Can't even get Danny Gare a official jersey. And it really does feel like everything that could go wrong is going wrong. On the ice, off the ice, all of it. Complaints about the arena. And the concessions in the arena. And... The beer selection, and the food selection, and the seats, how old they are. The giveaways, the special nights over the course of the year, the jerseys, the jersey color. I mean, for goodness sake, how long, they finally got to it, next year we're going to have it, but for how long were Sabre fans screaming for the Royal Blue color to return in place of the Navy? How long did it really take before the team decided to listen? Because if it takes that long for a layup like that, then I don't know how much confidence I'm supposed to have in this entire team, this entire organization, not just to figure out what their fans want as a product out on the ice, but what their fans want in a game-to-game experience at the arena. It just it doesn't exist right now. What, what argument can be made for any fan going down to the arena to be a season ticket holder, to go to 41 of those games? What argument is there? The in-arena experience is completely lacking, the product on the ice is an embarrassment in the last nine years. And, like, that's that's really, those are my two things I need to be, you know, selling people on. It's a business, right, at the end of the day? And I don't want to focus too much on, you know, the, 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 the downfalls in the marketing department and the PR department and, and the Sabres in general and whatever the business side looks like and all of the easy stuff. Like, you know, spelling one of your legendary players' names right. Little stuff like that. But it really just is a sign of where we are with the Sabres. Like, this might be the darkest it's ever been. The closest would have been, of course, before the lockout, when there was the threat that they could move, and the team wasn't good, and the arena was empty, and there was just no hope. Since then... This is easily as bad as it's been. You have a general manager who appears to be asleep at the wheel, who has not made a significant trade in over 12 months, with the team being as bad as it's been, has not made a significant trade in over 12 months. You have the other side of it, and... Alex, who was a caller a couple of hours ago, I'm going show up in the Bulldog. He really made me think about 90s night for the first time. And I hope that, you know, I'd like to think that in this respect I'm speaking for a good portion of the fan base that is somewhat near my age group. The age group that grew up with the Buffalo Sabres as the red and black. The black home jersey, the red alternate, the white aways. You know, grew up with Miroslav Shatan and Václav Varada and Marty Baran and Danny Briere and Chris Drury and Brian Campbell and Maxima Finneganoff. The guys, the kids who grew up with those players, with those uniforms, with that era of Sabres Hockey. Not the easiest thing in the world to be a Buffalo sports fan growing up with that. Because not only were the Sabres, you know, not great for a really long time. The Bills, of course, weren't giving you anything either. And the only team that you've really ever been able to fall in love with. That you've ever been able to think this is the best team in the sport. This team should win the championship. If they don't, it's a crime. That has happened once. The 2005-2006 season. That happened. These Sabres, I, to this day, I will tell anybody, the Sabres were the best team in the National Hockey League that season. If they didn't get a 1,000 injuries on their blue line, they were going to beat Edmonton to win the Stanley Cup. And they would have got by the Carolina Hurricanes. They almost did. They were going into the third period with a one-goal lead, with th- two AHL defensemen in the lineup, a health normal healthy scratch in the lineup on the blue line, and a junior player, an 18-year-old Nathan Paish, who still plays in the AHL. That guy was making his NHL debut that night. They still went into the third period with a lead. That team, I just mentioned a bunch of the names. Drury, Breer, Campbell, Finneganoff, Roy, Kodalik, Greer, Dumont, Pominville, Vanek, all of them. That's the best team of my life. Bills or Sabres. You didn't get I didn't get to grow up with the 90s. I didn't get to grow up with the sixties. Or even playoffs teams in the eighties. Sabres or Bills. Didn't get LaFontaine and McGillney. Didn't really even get Hashik. I got JP Lossman. I got Trent Edwards. And for a large portion of the Sabres part of it, it was, you know, Shatan and Jitnik and Dimitri Kalinin and Chris Gratton. Like, it was not anything that you could really, you know, always have fond memories of until you had that one season. And 90s night was your one chance, your best chance, to reach out to that group of fans, which represents well more than 141st of your fan base. You've got 41 home games in your 50th anniversary, what you're calling your 50th anniversary, right? You've got one night out of 41 dedicated to that era of Sabres Hockey. A group of fans that I am a part of. That have largely been ignored. Forgotten about. Swept under the rug. Dominic Hasek's banner? Not even a conversation about it being in red and black. That conversation doesn't exist. Despite the fact that he wore, won more Vesnos in that, in that color combination. He won both of his heart trophies. With it. The team's best season. With the best player in franchise history. Was in those colors. I could argue. Their second best season of all time. Was in those colors in 2006. If you look at the numbers. Their win percentage. Their. Percentage rate to make the playoffs. Are higher in those colors. Than they are in all of the others. Yet. Largely ignored. You know. The last couple of years started to creep back in a little bit. I remember a couple years ago when the Sabres put together a really cool uh, like EA Sports themed uh, intro video for a game. And it was m- mostly, you know, like the red and black. And it was like the 90s, the late 90s, the early 2000s. That was super cool because not only was it just like, hey, video games, you know, growing up with, with the EA Sports games, but there it is. That's, those are the colors we've been waiting for. Those are, that's the era that we just want, we want acknowledged once in a while. And when Alex, the caller earlier, who I assume is near my age range, I think he said he was a couple years older than me, when he was talking about how, like, he just felt left out on 90s night, because there's the, there's the pregame introduction There are the players that are coming out, Pekka, and there's a bunch of others, Daryl Shannon. Like, There's a bunch of players that come out at the beginning of the game. And then the game starts, and there it is. It's just the Sabres in their normal, dark, blue jerseys that nobody really seems to like. And they're just playing the Florida Panthers. And that's it. And... It doesn't have to all be on the Sabers. It can apart. This can a part of it be the NHL and Adidas and whatever guidelines are put in place for uniform combinations. But why the hell are we playing a sport that is meant for the fans? And you can't give me one home game out of 41 to acknowledge what I grew up with, what what everyone in my age range grew up with. Which, again, is not the majority of the fan base, but it's a lot more than 141st. A lot more. And they couldn't get that right. And this is one example of now countless little things they have screwed up, not just this season, but in the last decade. Danny Gare is at a turkey drive wearing a Chinese jersey. The guy's number is in the rafters. Dave Anderchuk has the most power play goals in NHL history. He's one of your best players ever. You couldn't get someone to spell check his last name? Like, are you kidding? I'm amazed he put the jersey on. As someone who gets his last name spelled wrong a lot, I'm not putting that jersey on. And it's mind-boggling. And part of me does think that we would let... A lot of that stuff go, and really, it is now amplified, all of that little stuff, off the ice stuff, if the team wasn't as bad as they are. But they are. They are. And the team and the organization and all of those 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 off the ice things that we're just bringing up, that's just a microcosm of what the team is, which is what we really care most about. I don't care if they're wearing purple. If they're good, good. That's what I care most about. That's what I would assume ninety-nine percent of fans care most about. But you've You gotta get something right at some point, don't you? What 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 argument are you making? What case are you making to fans to stick with you? There's nothing. There's nothing happening. It seems that the organization in their fan relations are asleep at the wheel. They have no earthly idea what their fans want. Or they just don't care. And then the hockey department seems to be asleep at the wheel as well. I can't believe they're still sitting here with as many NHL defensemen as they're sitting here with. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that they were as bad as they were at the end of last season. And... You know, w- coming into this year, when they were in first place, because don't forget, they were in first place last year, and we'll remember that 10-game win streak, but we were over a month into the season this year, and they were first place. Okay? That happened too. And I was sitting in here talking about, well, the good news is Jason Botcherell and the Saber should have learned from their mistakes, because what happened last year? Last year... They won on the 10-game win streak, and they thought they were all set because of it. They were caught putting their feet up, staring at the standings, going, yeah, I'm in first place. Smoking a cigar, maybe drink, kick back, have a glass of wine. I don't know. I, I could have done it. They were looking at the standings feeling pretty good about themselves. They did not feel that they needed to make changes. They did not feel that they needed to get better than what they were. They did not see them being in first place as an opportunity to end this freaking playoff drought. They didn't see it. They thought they were all set. When only a little bit of digging. Not even all that much. I'm no stat guru. I'm not some mathematician diving into the the hockey numbers that that went to MIT. But you can look at some of these very simple metrics on the surface. You, hell, you could just look at the scores. Just look at the fact that of all those games that they won in overtime. All of those one-goal games that they won. And they could have went, alright, we're, we're up there, we're winning, we're getting the results, but we need to be playing better than that because we're not always going to get these one-goal games. That's not a big leap to think, I need to make another addition. And they didn't do it. And this year, my thought was, all right, they learned from that. Now they're in the same situation where they're in first place. They're not a first place team. They should look at that as an opportunity to have a real season here. To add somebody. To add a couple... Couple players make a big move. Trade Rasmus Ristolainen, Trade a first round pick. Trade get Sabatka off the roster to make some cap space. Send Bogosian to Europe or anywhere to get some cap space there. I don't know. Trade anybody. How about Scandela? Even a minor move like that before December. Pilot Casey Nelson. Just a pulse. Give me a pulse. And this year has been largely the same story. A hot start, feeling good about themselves, didn't make the necessary improvements to the roster, and it got away from them. And now it's over. It's over. They're not making the playoffs. They are 10 points out of the division and 9 points out of the wild card, the, the amount of games they would have to win in the last 30 here to make the playoffs, it's unreasonable to think that this group, like it would be one thing if, you know, the, the 2011 Sabres, the last team that makes the playoffs, right? You could look back at that team and think, all right, you know, we had Vanek and Pommetville and Roy and Connolly and Miller, and we knew in large part what a lot of those guys were, but you had an influx of upside you had, you know, Tyler Ennis, not really knowing how good he could be, and Nathan Gerby, how much he could give you. And a couple of guys in the blue line, a young Tyler Myers. You didn't know how much he was going to be able to give you right away. There was upside on the roster. There was some youth. There was an implement of change. You had Jordan Leopold coming into the fold. It's like a decent, you know, offensive defenseman. You had Jonas Enroth coming in as like a pretty good backup goalie, so you would have to play Ryan Miller 77 games a year. Because Patrick O'Lean couldn't get in the net and do anything. You had a reason to think, maybe there's a chance this team could go on a run. And they did. There was just enough upside to make you think they could make a run like that. This team right now, it's, this roster is so stale... What what case could you possibly make to anybody to think that they have it in them to make the run necessary to make the postseason? Who is it? Who's the guy on the roster that, that they think they can get more out of? Because when Jason Bottrell, the Sabres GM, was asked that question a week or two ago, two weeks ago now, by, by Bulldog, or by Mike Shope, his answer was Connor Sherry Jimmy VC and Marcus Johansson. I mean, what are we doing? Those guys, three veteran players who have all played hundreds of games in the NHL, who there, there might not be three forwards on this team that you should know more about and what they are than Marcus Johansson, Jimmy VC, and Connor Sherry. There's no there's no way you should be thinking those guys are going to help you over the get over the hump. It's all the same stuff. We know what Larson is. We know what Giergensen's is. We know what Rodriguez is. We know what VC is. We know what Sherry is. We know what Frolik is. They just brought him in, but we know that. We know what Kyle Akposo is. We know what Bogosian is. And Ristolainen. And McCabe. And Carter Hutton. There's like two, three guys. Yoki Haru. Sure. He could turn into a Norris winner overnight, and maybe that could that could get you over the hump. Allmark could just go on a, a a furious run here and 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 bail them out in net. Victor Olofsson could come back and continue to do what he's doing. Like there's a couple of guys, but 90 percent of this team is just it's expired. This roster is expired milk. It's what it is. And it's a shame because they have squandered and they are taking advantage, maybe not by their own doing, maybe it's just by their incompetence, but they're taking advantage of what really is the best fan base in hockey. It's amazing to me every year that despite the state of hockey in Buffalo right now, in terms of the Sabres, not necessarily like on the youth level, don't mean anything by that, But the state of the Sabres right now, the fact that Buffalo still shows up at the top of the list every single year for the ratings in the Stanley Cup, that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that these buildings, that it took this long for the building to be as empty as it is. It's crazy it took that long. They just got to they got there has to be something to believe in. There needs to be something more to be hopeful about other than they're finally switching to royal blue, you know, 7 years after we wanted them to do it originally. That can't be the only thing we're waiting around for. There's got to be something hockey-wise. There's got to be something arena-wise. There's got to be something jersey-wise, another something else. You've got to give the that this team has to give the fans something. It has to, because there's there's nothing there's nothing to look forward to right now. There's almost nothing to look forward to. And the last thing I want to say on this because I don't want to I I, I I hate talking about this, I hate it. Bullog earlier compared it to when you get in an argument with somebody and then you to, like sit back after and you think like. Yeah, did I really mean all of that? Did I really mean all of that? Like, I don't feel good about myself after that. I don't feel good about myself ever thinking about this team right now. Because there's nothing, there's no other tone to have than this one. Then that just, everything's terrible. And who wants to be that guy all the time? But if you if you want to have a conversation about the Buffalo Sabres, there's no other way to do it. The last thing I want to say on this is, I can't help thinking about Jack Eichel. I really can't. This is, in a way, and this is way out in the future, and I I almost hate bringing this up in the first place, but I got to get off my chest because I do think about this. This is a long-term sales pitch to Jack Eichel. You want him to be a saber for life? We all want him to be a saber for life. He probably will be a saber for life, maybe. But, there's no way, I think there's no way it can happen for another seven years, right? But, what has got to be going through that guy's mind? Think about how he grew up. He was a kid from Boston. First of all, that's like all you need to know. He was a kid from Boston in the early 2000s. So think about that. The Patriots won... You know, have won six Super Bowls. The Red Sox have won three Stanley Cups. The Celtics won an NBA championship. The Bruins won a Stanley Cup. You've got a dozen championships. And then he cracks the NHL. Lifelong dream. And there's no doubt he would like to do that winning on his own. And he gets here. And it's this. It's been this for five years. I don't question his loyalty at all, but I wouldn't doubt. I wouldn't blame the guy if he had thoughts once in a while. Like, this is the worst. This is just absolutely the worst. I'm in year five. I've taken a huge step forward as a player. I have 62 points in 48 games. I've taken my game to the next level. I'm gonna set a career high in goals. I'm gonna set a career high in points. I could have been an MVP nominee had I made the playoffs. But this, this team just can't get off the mat. That would be frustrating to me. That would be. But again, there's no real reason to think that he's frustrated with the, uh, well, you, you know he's frustrated with the results, but his place in, on the team right now. Not saying that that's the case. I'm just saying I'm starting to think about stuff like that. And the team drives you to that at the end of the day. Eight oh three oh five fifty is the phone number. If you're hanging out on hold, we will get to you right after the break. We got a couple of phone lines open. You can get in on eight oh three oh five fifty. We'll try to squeeze all the calls in that we got here uh, after the break. Talking Sabers right now. I do want to get some football in at some point here. Chad D. Diminicis, by the way, is going to be our interview of the day in the second hour. So stay tuned for that. Um, I, I talk about Chad stuff a lot on the air. I think he's one of the brighter guys that covers the Sabers uh, right now in the area. He joined Jeremy earlier today, and I. You know, I came away from his talk with Jeremy feeling a little bit better about the on-ice product at least, so we'll get Chad in uh, on that later on. It's a Nightcap with Joe DiBiase. Stay tuned here on WGR. It's more of a situation where I think it's the way the roster's constructed, right? So Fado went last summer, he picked up defensemen, on, especially on the right side, is kind of where he did a lot of his work. You go in the next season, right now, you have Yokiharu, Montour, and as a now, Colin Miller, and then Rich So really, you still have too many right shot defensemen for your team. So along with him playing better, along with having a right shot defenseman, and if there seems like you're set at the right side with his improved play, he, to my surprise, I think he's done a good job rebuilding his value and I think Kruger gets some appreciation for that too, doing a good job with him. Chad Dinaminis, die by the blade, my favorite follow on Sabres Twitter. He was on with Jeremy White this morning. We will hear more from him in our interview of the day in the second hour. It's been a pretty dark day talking about the Sabres. I, I'm generally a person that looks for every optimistic part of a conversation. I'm not afraid to go to, you know, the depths. But, I like to try to find the optimistic viewpoint. And, in the midst of this Sabres drought now, which, we need to start calling it a drought more consistently. We're at nine years. They have the longest drought in the sport. They have the, it's a drought. It's a big one. In the course of it, the place to find optimism, any little part you can, has always been the kids, right? It's always been the eighteen, nineteen, twenty-year-olds, the first round picks you've had. It's the Grigorenkos and the Giergensons and the Zadorovs and the Ristalinans and the Casey Middlestats and the Alex Neelanders and Brendan Gooley. Look oh how, how fast he is. Like there's even though he's playing in, you know, somewhere out in Siberia, basically, we have no idea where he's playing. But there's like these grainy highlights coming out, like, oh look at this guy. Look at uh, oh, oh, sorry, Laksanen. He's playing in against like Turku or some some team in Finland. Oh, but look at this grainy highlight. How good he's doing. That's where our optimism has lied. And even that's getting old. That's getting so hard to do. I I there's I can't I don't have the stomach anymore to sit here and talk about Dylan Cousins potentially coming in and saving the day next year. This 18 year old who's like 150 pounds. Is just gonna, you know, show up next season at training camp, win a job, and suddenly we're gonna be good because of that. That can't be the solution. It can't be. I'm not saying draft picks aren't important. They are. They're important to your long term sustainability, your long term success. But this is not just a long term problem with the Sabres right now. This is a this is a this is a short term issue. They're not really a rebuilding team. They're, they're going to be in the offseason, but it's not going to be, you know, when, when Michael Froelich becomes a free agent. Fr- listen to all their free agents upcoming this year. Froelich, UFAs. Froelich, Sherry, VC, Giergensens, Larson, Bogosian, Sabatka, Hunwick is still sitting there on long-term, long-term IR, so him, Scott Wilson. Casey Nelson, John Gilmore, Andrew Hammond, I guess if you want to throw in the Rochester guys. All of those guys are up for new contracts. The Sabres have four forwards under contract for next season. Eichel, Okposo, Johansson, and Skinner. That's it. Four guys. They'll figure out restricted contracts with I'm sure Tage Thompson and Victor Olofsson and Sam Reinhardt, although that's a deeper question. Um Rodriguez probably not here, not trending in that direction. Montour is an RFA. So you got some other restricted free agents. But that is over half of my forward group in Frolic, Sherry, VC, Larson, Giergenson, and I'll throw Rodriguez in there because it doesn't it's not trending like he'll be back. He wants to trade already. He wants to trade now. Let alone the off season, they'll have an opportunity to do like a mini rebuild. But there isn't this pipeline of young grade A prospects in the system. There's not. If you missed Chris Baker from SabersProspects.com yesterday on with Brayton, check that out on demand at WGR550.com because like, man, he he made it sound as I think he made it sound as good as you could make it sound for what it is but they don't have these elite guys middle stat like that that needed to be it that really did and it, it still could he scored i think twice tonight for rochester so i'm not ruling that out for working but they need they need more than just even one guy they need like 3 4 guys that are currently in the system to just show up and be instant upgrades over these veteran upcoming UFAs that you th- finally I think we would all hope are going to finally walk out the door so that they can change over this 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 is this roster. Remember the roster surgery? Bottrell never used the term roster surgery going into this year but he he should have. They needed roster surgery. And they didn't do it. They didn't do it. It's like a football player who like tears his anything, meniscus. Or, or ACL, and instead of surgery, he just rehabs it for a month, and now it's going to go right back out with the same old um, torn-up, damaged ligament. That's what the Sabres are. And of course that's not going to work. They they need... they need What they need, they don't have. Asplund is not just going to be a second-line center for you. Tage Thompson... There's nothing that would make you think he's just going to show up and be a top-six forward for you next year. Middlestad hasn't shown that. Top-six, top, top second-line center. Cousins, you can't count on him being a second-line center. On, on the defensive group, Borgen. Like, yeah, there's reason to be optimistic. Borgen could give you something, but he's not going to be some top-four guy, is he, right away? Are they going to just rush up prospects who, if you would were to rank the top prospects around the league... Most of these guys are nowhere near the top. Maybe Cousins is, but that might be it. Lukin in two for goaltenders. That's, that's it, though. It's going to be a, a veteran type of rebuild, I think, if it happens. It should happen. I, can, I will be flabbergasted if it doesn't happen this offseason. And I'm, am I at the point where I'm supposed to start looking at free agent lists? This, this is why it, I, I'm trying. This is meant to be now this shorter segment after, you know, kind of trashing them for 20 minutes, finding the optimistic point of view. And the closest thing I can get to is just a hope and a prayer that you can convince some free agents to come here. Alex Petrangelo? Like, is he even going to look at you? Taylor Hall? Like, come on. If that guy makes it to the market, you think he's going to sign up for this? Tyson Berry. You know. There are guys. Braden Hope, he's a free agent. Is that it? Maybe is that, was that what I do? Do I just go overpay a goaltender? I actually made this argument last season. Going into this season. In the summer, people tweeted at me multiple times that I'm an idiot for bringing it up. But... I'm like man I'm ready to just go give Sergei Bobrovsky a stupid contract to play goaltender for me just because on the short term I'm going it's it's going to look good. It's going to be respectable. It's not going to be so tiresome. It's not going to be so so bad in the short term. But on the long term, the idea of giving a goaltender an 8-year deal at 10 million per is so irresponsible to the salary cap. It's it's in today's NHL when you're looking at long-term cap structure, that's about as bad an idea as there is. Is paying a goaltender that contract. But I was I was almost ready to do it just because I'm so sick and tired of losing and it would have at least meant they were a playoff contender right away. It at least would have worked for years 1 through 3 even if years four through eight would have been a disaster or would have been severely hindered because of a contract like that. And, hey, man, here's another opportunity like that. Brayden Holpe is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Like, Should we have that conversation? Should we think about overpaying Braden Holpe, who's had a really bad year this year, but has been a, at times elite goaltender in the league in his career? Is, is that the way to save it? Because, again, I think that's stupid For salary cap reasons, but how desperate are we to have a good team? Because everything else that this team is trying—it's not even like they're trying very hard because they're not trying much—but everything they're trying is just not working. That's that's the that's the most optimistic I can look at it. Can they maybe get Braden Holtby? That sucks. It sucks that that's the optimistic part of it. I want to talk Bills. We'll switch, change gears. Eight oh three oh five fifty is the phone number. Um, thoughts on the off-season for the Bills. The Senior Bowl's going on. If you haven't been paying attention, Sales at Mobile, Alabama. He's covering the Senior Bowl. You can get some good stuff from him at WGR550.com. Um, the Juju Smith-Schuster idea that I brought up from yesterday, I'm not loving it as much today. I'll tell you why when we return. And actually, the reason I... Don't like it as much. It's actually, it's Andrew Filippone from 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh, formerly of WGR, was on this morning. What he said made me not like the idea as much, And but he did just tweet out minutes ago about this idea. So I'll tell you what he tweeted, and we'll revisit that as an idea. We all want the number one wide receiver, right? Well, the biggest name on the market right now potentially would be Juju Smith-Schuster, if he is available. So we'll get into that after the break. Here on the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase, this is WGR. The way they've talked Tomlin and Art Rooney since the season ended, uh, they're trying to convince the outside world that he was a victim of circumstances. But I'm not buying it. He did not make the most, not even close, of limited opportunities. We're talking about key drops They beat the Jets. Not a lot of people know this maybe up in Buffalo. They beat the Jets in week 16. If he makes a play that I would say 90% of wide receivers make, Hodges on a fourth down play in the waning seconds, had a bad snap that he picked up, and he kind of threw a prayer downfield, but it was over the defensive back's head. Juju went up for the ball and just missed it. Andrew Filippone, formerly of WGR, now of 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh, talking about Juju Smith-Schuster who I talked about extensively last night, I brought up an older tweet from earlier this month actually of uh of Andrews. He had a bold trade idea. Hey, let's he's coming from a Steeler perspective. Let's trade Juju Smith-Schuster to either the Bills or the Patriots who both need weapons. They both have late first-round picks. Let's go get one of those first-round picks. I took it a step further to crazy town and said that they should, the Bills should acquire Nick Foles and get a second round pick for taking Nick Foles' contract and then turn that around and spin that around and get Juju. Uh, Andrew didn't seem to think this morning that anything less than a first round pick would get that done. Now, I, I still would not be totally against it, but again, I am I am not liking the idea nearly as much as I was last night, and a lot of it is what you just heard there. You know, I'm not watching him every single play, and hearing that, Like, that's a red flag to me. That it wasn't just, hey, the quarterback's out. Because when you do dive in a little bit deeper, Deontay Johnson, a third-round rookie, was able to flourish in Pittsburgh this season with bad quarterback play. And meanwhile, Smith-Schuster just couldn't get going at all. So it's not a perfect idea, but if we're going to continue to have the wide receiver conversation for the Bills... I do believe now that Smith-Schuster needs to be included in that. Because of any guy in the league that you could argue they could acquire that would be an upgrade as their current number one, he might be the most available. Realistically, he might be the easiest to get. He's got one year left in his contract. Maybe the team's not as happy with him as they were last year. He's having maybe a tough time dealing with criticism in Pittsburgh. Changes sceneries, but he mentioned today, Andrew did. That sounds like a type of move that is achievable. And again, it's not perfect because he is not a he's not an elite number one wide receiver like we've been talking about. But what he is is better at that position on the short term than probably anyone else you can get. Unless AJ Green becomes available in free agency, which I, I still need to see that. There's all the Cincinnati talk, the reports that he might go back there. Um, we, we You need to consider the, the Smith-Schuster idea, I think. He's better than John Brown to me. He's better than Cole Beasley. And I still want to draft a receiver. I'd like to do that somewhere in the second round or the first round. I can still do that, can't I? It's a lot of assets into that position, but they need to start pouring some assets into that position. They do. They really do. We'll talk more about this when we come back. It's so The Nightcap with Joe DiBiasi. Eight hundred three hundred five fifty is the phone number. This is WGR. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. What is this? What, what are we doing? What in God's name are we doing? What? Our lives. What, what kind of lives are these? We're like children. We're not men. No, we're not. We're not men. It's The Nightcap. Are we going to be sitting here when we're 60 like two idiots? We should be having dinner with our sons when we're 60. We're pathetic. You know that? Yeah, like I don't know that I'm pathetic. On WGR, Sports Radio 550. So then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? Yes. Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. So Eli Manning is going to make the Hall of Fame, right? Today it comes out, the Giants announced it officially after a couple of reports that Eli Manning is going to announce his retirement on Friday from the NFL. Not a big surprise, I think, to anybody. I I can't believe it hasn't happened sooner. I- I'm not a big Eli Manning fan at all. I, I don't believe he was ever near... One of the best quarterbacks in football. I don't think at ever any one point in time in his career was he even close to that debate. Unlike on one of the best quarterbacks in the league, never even close. He's got the two Super Bowls, and that's going to carry him in. That and being buddy buddy with uh, the writers who are uh, who got the votes. That that is going to get Eli Manning into the Hall of Fame. But don't kid yourself. It's not it's not an all-time great quarterback I'm sorry he's just not there's a reason he's go he retires without a winning record how many how many quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame don't have a winning record like winning I'm not I'm not even saying like you know something crazy like winning twice as many games as you lose just being above 500 average couldn't do that Not a great completion percentage for his career. Barely cracked 60. The yardage output is there. You look at his yardage, it's there in terms of totals. But if you look at yards per attempt, if you look at yards per completion, if you look at net yards per attempt, you look at any other metric that just digs even a little bit deeper into what was happening with this guy. He's nowhere near the top of the league, ever. Interceptions. He threw more picks in this era than anybody not named Jameis Winston, who is throwing a ridiculous amount. But even, like, Winston is getting all of this attention for throwing 30 interceptions. Like, how crazy is 30 interceptions, right? Eli threw 27, like, six years ago. It's not too far away in the past. I I don't know. I'm sorry. I just don't think two games out of 250 should be enough. I know that they were the biggest games of his career. I know that he he does deserve a whole lot of credit for those games. But I, at the end of the day, you know his defense held Tom Brady to 17 points. They held the best offense we've ever seen to 17 points, the 2007 Patriots. It's not like he carried them through those games. He showed up in big moments, and you, you can call him clutch for the rest of his career because he made two insanely important throws in his career. But, I'm sorry, I cannot look in the mirror and judge a guy on two throws in two games. Look at the larger sample size of of what there is. 250 starts, give or take. Over 8,000 attempts for his career. Evaluate 99.9% of that sample size... And you do not have, not only don't you have a Hall of Fame quarterback, you don't have anything close to a Hall of Fame quarterback. And the the one argument against Eli Manning being a Hall of Famer that you just can't argue with is if you're telling me Eli Manning is a, is a Hall of Famer because he won the two Super Bowls and was average for the rest of his career, for most of the rest of his career. There are a couple years in there where he's above average. I'll give him that. But... There is a ton of average to below average football in there for Eli Manning. If you tell me he's a Hall of Famer, then what you're telling me is that if somehow Joe Flacco wins another Super Bowl, he's a Hall of Famer too. Isn't is that not this precedent you're setting? You're telling me now that an average quarterback can make the Hall of Fame if he wins two Super Bowls. Are we doing that? If Flacco somehow won the Super Bowl with Denver next season, is he going to Canton? Because that is what you're saying. That's what you're saying. I, I truly believe Eli Manning is just Jay Cutler on the right team with a good good marketing department. What what what's really all that different? Turnover prone, slightly above average in their primes? They both have, you know, a lot of memes about their faces and the expressions that they make. Um, I don't know. Would Jay Cutler have won those games? Maybe, probably not. Maybe not. Maybe he would have. Would Philip Rivers have won two Super Bowls for the Giants? I, I just I can't I can't get over the the team argument for an individual accolade. Like, I know you won two Super Bowls. You were a part of two Super Bowls. Football is more a team sport than any. And to think that you are ju- you have to judge individuals based on that team accomplishment is always crazy to me. It's always crazy to me. Trent Dilfer should never be mentioned in today's game as much as he does. But he does because he won a Super Bowl. And he'll always be the comparison for, you know, how to win with a defense first, right? I just can't get there. I can't get near Eli Manning being a Hall of Famer. He'll make it. I don't doubt that for a second. At the end of the day, it's a business. They're looking to make money. And that's a big name. And that's a classy guy that a lot of people like from New York City. At least from New York City in terms of his team. He's not. He wasn't born there or anything. And he'll make it. But that does not mean he's one of the best quarterbacks of all time. He's nowhere near it. He was never even one of the best in his era. He was never close to Drew Brees. Never close to Aaron Rodgers. Never close to Tom Brady. Never close to his brother, Peyton Manning. Never. And to me, if you're never in consideration for the best quarterback at any point in time then you're not a Hall of Famer. Never close to Roethlisberger either. Phillip Rivers, to me, I always thought Philip Rivers was a better quarterback than Eli Manning. Are you really telling me Eli Manning would not win a Super Bowl on, that Giants te- on those Giants teams that were fast and furious rushing the passer? To this day, I've not seen a team better at rushing the passer than those Giants teams. They had like five elite pass rushers. They had Jason Pierre, Paul, and Justin Tuck, and before that Michael Strahan and Matthias Kiwanuka. Like they were a group of monsters on the defense. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That that's just my stance on Eli Manning. I just I I never watched the guy, I was never impressed. I was never impressed by him. Eight oh three oh five fifty is the phone number. We're going to hear more about this Juju Smith-Schuster idea. I got a little bit sidetracked there with the Eli Manning thing. He did retire today. Um, It's been a good couple of days for New York sports fans. You got Derek Jeter into the Hall of Fame yesterday. Eli Manning going out uh, right now. That is already sparking the Hall of Fame discussion about him. Um, And, of course, that will come up when he's eligible in a couple years. Antonio Brown, by the way. So over the last couple of minutes, there's a report out of Pittsburgh that Antonio, or maybe out of uh, Florida, that Antonio Brown, there is now a warrant for his arrest. I'm at a point with this guy where I just think, I I really just think he's, 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 he's wrong in the head. The guy needs help. This is beyond, you know, being a diva wide receiver. This is well beyond that. Something's wrong with this guy. And... He needs to get help. He does. But at the moment, there is a warrant out for his arrest. No bail, by the way. No bail. As he uh, he and his trainer are uh, likely here. His trainer's already been charged. But he's likely to be charged now, um, it seems, for uh, for battery in Florida. So there's a little update on what's going on with Antonio Brown. We will uh, talk a little bit about his one of his former teammates, Juju Smith-Schuster, as an idea for the Bills. Andrew Filippone word-by-word, um, word, the tweet that he sent out less than uh, 40 minutes ago. Steelers should trade Juju for the first-round pick they're lacking to the wide receiver desperate Buffalo Bills. A long-term deal with Juju ain't happening. Great draft for wide receivers in the middle rounds. Steelers can find one. Bills need an instant playmaker, and they have money. Makes a ton of sense. It does make sense. Does it make a ton of sense? I'm not all the way there, but we'll hear more from Andrew when we return. Tonight Nightcap with Joe DiBiase. Stay tuned for that after this on WGR.